Hey, this is Hanson from Archipus Awakening. Welcome and thanks for joining us for another session of Kingdom 101. You know, Archipus Awakening is a ministry that's dedicated to the awakening of saints so that we can all know and fulfill our God-given kingdom assignments. And to do that well, we need good kingdom foundations. And that is why we have Kingdom 101. We want to know the King, embrace His kingdom, so that we can all know and receive and move on our Kingdom assignments. Kingdom 101 is an expository journey through the Gospel of Matthew. And today, we will be exploring Matthew chapter 15, verses 29 to 39. Let me read the scriptures to you, and then after that we pray, and we get into today's teaching. So Matthew chapter 15, verses 29 onwards. Jesus departed from there, skirted the Sea of Galilee, and went up on the mountain and sat down there. Then great multitudes came to him, having with them the lame, blind, mute, maimed, and many others. And they laid them down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them. So the multitude marveled when they saw the mute speaking, the maimed made whole, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. Now Jesus called his disciples to himself and said, I have compassion on the multitude, because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. And I do not want to send them away hungry, lest they faint on the way. Then the disciples said to him, Where could we get enough bread in the wilderness to fill such a great multitude? Jesus said to them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven and a few little fish. So he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves and the fish and gave thanks, broke them and gave them to his disciples. And the disciples gave to the multitude. So they all ate and were filled, and they took up seven large baskets full of the fragments that were left. Now those who ate were four thousand men, besides women and children. And he sent away the multitude, got into the boat, and came to the region of Magdala. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for scriptures always, Lord, that we know that in scripture, Jesus is revealed. So that's our desire in this session, Lord. Will you reveal Jesus and his kingdom afresh to all of us? And as we journey together, teach us, Lord, and lead us. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray. Amen. Today's title is Fringe Guy. Well, as a slang, it's not exactly a positive term. In fact, it refers to one who is on the fringe, not quite the normal. And if you want to take it to an extreme, it's this guy, a fringe guy, would be considered weird, a little bit of an oddball. Well, do you know, Jesus was a little like a fringe guy. Now, I don't mean this irreverently, of course. But really, according to tradition, institution, and the religion of his day, Jesus wasn't mainstream. In fact, he didn't do the normal stuff. He taught about the kingdom, he spoke about the scriptures, and he unpacked things. But to the people then, especially to the leaders, he was odd. He was, he was fringe, right? And he wasn't the main thing, and they, he didn't follow the things of their tradition and of their teachings. In fact, he wasn't even just odd. He was at odds with them quite a lot. Now, I'm not the only one who is making this observation. In fact, C.S. Lewis, when he challenged the people to believe in Jesus, he said, if you look at Jesus and the claims that he made, well, he would either be a liar, a lunatic, or he is really Lord, right? And so, C.S. Lewis, I suppose, in his words, he would be saying, uh, Jesus, you know, fringe guy, but he's okay. He's okay type of a fringe guy. His art is a good art because he is God and he is the Lord of all. More specifically and literally, as we will see through today's um, passage, Jesus, the fringe guy, loved and cared for the people on the fringe, right? If you have another word for fringe, it would be margin. And in our terms today, we would call these the marginalized, those who would be on the edge um, towards the sidelined people. And Jesus, as a fringe guy, he loved the people on the fringe. Now, this is, should not come as a surprise at all. His Father, God, our Father, our God, always looked out for people 
in the fringes, right? Look at Old Testament. Israel was given a command within the law. Don't harvest everything. Don't, don't take 100% when you're going through the fields. Leave the edges. Leave the fringe so that those who are the strangers, the aliens, the um, foreigners amongst you, the poor, the needy, the real fringe guys can come to this fringe and glean whatever is left for you. Because you must remember this, there was a time when you were fringe in Egypt, right? You were not taken as the main group. You were pushed to the side. You were not even second class, third class. You were no class at all. See, our God is a fringe God. And that's why Jesus is a fringe guy. What an amazing, amazing declaration here. And however, over time, Israel missed the entire picture, right? Of course, they were invaded. They were given over to the enemies. And when they came back into the land, they wanted to protect their Jewish identity, their national um, name of being God's people and its kingdom. And they wanted to keep the laws for themselves. They became very, very inward looking. Over time, it became the Jews versus the Gentiles big time, right? Um, we are the main guys, no Jewish identity. We've got to protect that. But the Gentiles fringe, okay? We, we don't really bother too much about them. We've got to look out for ourselves first. And Jesus is coming to recover and reveal what the kingdom of God truly is all about. He says, I'm going to make things right right now, okay? Now, for a start, I'm going to go to the Jews first. That's my primary assignment. I'm sent to the house of Israel. But along the way, I'm not going to ignore the Gentiles. Now, this can be secondary assignment for me. These are guys on the fringe, but I still have a heart for them, and they still have a place in the plan of God, the kingdom of God. Now, Matthew chapter 15, our passage, 29 to 39, it adds to this entire narrative and it gives us a larger kingdom picture. Yes, I know, it's a, it's a feeding miracle, right? We know the feeding of the 5,000 and then again now this is the 4,000. But it is so much more than just another feeding miracle. So will you... I want you to journey with me, join me, okay? I'm going to unpack this. We're going to study with a little bit of a detail, look at some structures and some patterns, but I don't want you to miss the main picture and the main message, fringe guy. So let's go. First question we ask, why another feeding miracle? Well, we know that Matthew writes to the Jews. Now, these were kingdom people. Now, if you look at the structure and the way Matthew writes his gospel, you will find a very stark similarity and many parallels to the way the Old Testament stories were told and in some of its forms. This is so that the gospel can then be easily recognized and understood by the Jews. Matthew's objective is plain and simple. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. With this as a backdrop, we then see and can understand the feeding miracles in his Gospels when we compare to the feeding miracles compared, uh, mentioned in the Old Testament. Now, there were also uh, feeding miracle pairs mentioned in twos uh, in the Old Testament. So, for example, look at Moses. Moses uh, did the feeding in the wilderness, the manna that was provided after the crossing of the Red Sea. That's in Exodus chapter 16. But in Numbers 11, again, there's a second feeding miracle, manna and quail was also provided. That's one pair. Now, then look at Elijah and Elisha. That's another pair. 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 8 to 16. That's Elijah. Then 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 42 to 44. Another feeding miracle, another pair. Now, you notice one pair is Moses, i.e. representing the law. But for Elijah and Elisha, they would represent the prophets. Now, here comes Jesus, and there is a pair of feeding miracles in the book of Matthew, and he brings them together, I believe, is to show forth that Jesus 
is not just wanting to give people some food, but both in Matthew 14, the feeding of the 5,000, and now in Matthew 15, feeding of the 4,000, I believe he's showing the people, look, Jesus is the fulfillment of both the law as well as the prophets. But when we look at these two feeding miracles, we have to ask the questions, uh, well, is it the same event or is it different? Some commentators uh, allude to this idea that actually it's the same, you know, it's just little details, but it's repeated twice uh, for effect, so they vary uh, the numbers a little bit. But is that true? Is that correct? Well, it is true that both accounts are very similar, but there is one major difference. Now, let's look at the context again. In the last teaching, we were in the region of Tyre and Sidon, where Jesus met the woman from Canaan. Well, we're going to see that the breadcrumbs didn't stop with just that one woman. In fact, it would overflow to the multitudes. And this is what I'm saying to all of us here. What's that big difference? The feeding of the 5,000 was to Jews. And the feeding of the 4,000 right now, this would be for the Gentiles. Now, I know that's a huge statement to be making, right? How do we know this? Well, we're going to draw three points, and these gives us the hints and the clues drawn from not just the Gospel of Matthew, but also a parallel passage in Mark. Well, the first one is this. Jesus leaves that region, and we read in our passage just now, he skirts around the Sea of Galilee. I love the play of words, right? He skirts it around the fringe of the Sea of Galilee. The fringe guy walks along the fringe of the Sea of Galilee. And where does he end up? Now, Matthew doesn't tell us, but Mark does. And as he records it in chapter 7, verse 31, we know that Jesus ends up in this place called Decapolis. Deca 10 polis cities is a group of 10 Hellenistic Greek city-states where the Greeks settled following um, the conquest uh, by Alexander the Great. Uh, and so Decapolis, Greek Gentile territory again. Jesus moves from that region out there, skirts the Sea of Galilee and comes to a larger Gentile region. That's point number one. The second thing we see recorded in Matthew chapter 15, verse 31 is, the multitudes came, there were miracles, wow! And they saw that Jesus did everything so wonderfully and so beautifully, and they glorified God. Now the phrase didn't say that. The phrase records, they glorified the God of Israel. Now elsewhere, when you see the Jews, the people of God glorifying and praising God, they don't have to say, I want to glorify the God of Israel because, I mean, they are Israel. But if you are of a different people group, then you would refer to the God of another people group. And I think Matthew records it specifically so that we know this is a Gentile mission. Now, the third point is in the word that is used for baskets. Now, we know that in the feeding of the 5,000, the leftovers, Jesus had 12 baskets then, but now seven baskets. Now, two different words are used. In the 5,000, it was kofinos, and that's a Jewish term for baskets. But in this present feeding, it is a word called spuris, and that's a Greek term. So can you see there are three points there that sort of point for us that um, this mission or this feeding was for the Gentiles. What do you think the message is? Let me share this with you. I believe Matthew is trying to say something to us, and I think if we catch this, it's going to be such a powerful, powerful revelation. See, what God does for Israel, God will do for the Gentiles. What God does for the main body, He also wants to do for the fringe. What's available for Israel will be available to the rest of the world. Now, at that point in time, it's not yet. It will take a while, but it will be worth the wait. Now, compare this with a Jewish idea. What was it? It was Israel versus or against the rest of the world. Why? Protection, right? Jewish identity. And that's why the Pharisees were so hung up on, we've got to keep the law. 
uh, we've got circumcision, uh, food laws, so we cannot eat this, this is unclean. We've got to keep that Sabbath. This is what separates us from the rest of the world. We are the main guys. They are the fringe. So Jewish idea, Israel versus the rest of the world. We've got to stay away from them. We've got to keep them out there. But here's the kingdom truth. It's Israel for the rest of the world. Right? And here was the method. Jesus comes first. He says, I'm going to reach Israel first. In fact, God is the first one that says this. I'm going to save Israel. You will be my servant. You will be as a light to the Gentiles. So Jesus comes. He does exactly the same thing. Israel, I'm coming to you first. And later on, the Gentiles will be included. God told Abraham, I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing. Israel, you will be blessed so that you can be a blessing. Does it remind you of Psalm 133 where it says that if there's a unity in the people of God and, and they understand the heart of God, the blessings will come down, not just upon the head, flowing to the beard, not just to the garment, but it will go to the outer edges, the hems, the fringe. Fringe guys, I hope you're getting this, right? It's going to just outflow to the outer, outer edges because it's not to be kept within it is to be shared with everyone else and the people on the fringe, the fringe guys, they get it too. But for that moment, the Gentiles had to wait. But it will be worth the wait. I mean, think about this. The woman was willing to wait. She said, look, I know, the children go first, right? You feed the little children. But hey, little dogs, little pets, households still loved part of the, part of the whole family. I will wait, it's okay. They get the bread. I don't mind the crumbs, but that breadcrumb faith, oh man, it opened the door to 4,000 more Gentiles, and that's not even counting even the women and the children. It would be so much more. But hang in there. This would only be a sampling because there will be more to come. Let's move on and let's notice something else. In the way Matthew would have structured his gospel, and here I want to talk about multitudes, miracles, and manna. You see, more than just the miracles, the signs, and the wonders, the, the miracles were drawn to the Messiah, but pointed to a true manna, not just physical bread, but the Messiah himself, the King, the Word, the bread of life. And here, when we, when we study a little technicality, of Matthew's structural pattern, we see this come through more clearly. See, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 23 to 25, it talks about the multitudes coming, drawn to Jesus, miracles, signs, and wonders. But after that, what happens? There's a Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 14, again, the multitudes come, miracles, signs, and wonders. And after that, they get into, I believe, a mountain-type situation and a miracle feeding happens down, down there. Here in Matthew chapter 15, you see exactly the same pattern. Multitudes come again, miracles again, and then it's up on the mountain once more, and then another feeding miracle. Now, three things, again, three times, and Matthew confirms this for us. But I like to see that the first one, back in Matthew chapter 4, we can read this chronologically, or we can look at this as, as Matthew um, giving an introduction or a summary of how Jesus would do his ministry. Because in Matthew chapter 4, 23 to 25, it says, The great multitudes followed him from where? From Galilee, now that's Jewish, and from Decapolis, now that's also uh, Gentile, and Jerusalem, Judea, and then beyond the Jordan, again Gentile territory. See that? So Matthew is saying, Jesus is doing all these things, but let me introduce you to you. Let me introduce the kingdom to you. It's both for the Jew as well as for the Gentile. And as, or as I have already shared with you, Matthew 14, the feeding of the 5,000, specifically to the Jews. Because in the book of John, he unpacks it then. He says, look, your fathers were in the wilderness, right? Talking to the people of Israel children of Israel. You know the story. He won't say this to a Gentile. He would say this to the Jews. Your fathers were in the wilderness, manna, but after that they got hungry again and they died. But you're talking about manna down here, which is Jesus. He says, oh, I am the bread of life. It's not just temporary. It's not just physical. 
it is eternal, and it is spiritual. And then we come to Matthew 15, and I've already shared with you that it is for the Gentiles. And the message is beautiful. This bread of life, see, is not only for the little children. It is also for the little dogs. The bread is there for them, for the children, the people of God. But the crumbs that fall, ooh, lots of crumbs, right? 12 basket that came from the 5,000 feeding. And after today's feeding, we will see that there will be another seven baskets full. Look at the bread, look at the crumbs. Talk about the abundance of the kingdom. I'm, when I studied this passage and, I, and God opened my eyes to see a few more things, just beyond just a feeding miracle, I'm like, Lord, you are amazing. Lord Jesus, you are so awesome. You, that fringe guy. <laughs> wow, okay. I mean, we want to be fringe guys too, right? Because it's not just about us. It's so many more and so much more um, people on the fringe that we can reach also. And I, I want to be like Jesus. But, but let's go on because Matthew reveals something else uh, in, in and through his Gospels, things that he would repeat and he will mention again and again. Well, we see here in the feeding of the 4,000, he said, I've got compassion on the multitude. We see the same thing in Matthew chapter 14, verse 14. He was moved with compassion for the people. He began to heal the people and he began to also feed them. Now, these were not the only two times. There's another time in Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. He says he, he, it says that he, he sees the multitudes and he was moved with compassion for them. And here's a big, big, big point for us all. A key kingdom ingredient, if you want to be ministering to people, a key kingdom ingredient is compassion. Is compassion. And many times we struggle with it and I struggle with it because I lack that compassion of the king and we, we, we need to recover this and we're going to ask the Lord, say, Lord, will you fill us once more uh, with compassion, your compassion, so that we can have the same for the people around us. But the truth is also this, it's so much easier to have compassion for your own kind, right? Those that you like, the people who share the same interests as you. But to have compassion for people who are a little bit different from you, from you um, to have compassion for the people on the fringe, sometimes that's a little bit harder, is it not? But if you really want to be a true fringe guy, you need to have kingdom compassion for the fringe guys who are out there. And we want to learn from Jesus because he's both pastoral and he's also very, very practical. He didn't just give spiritual feeding, teach, 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 and he says, okay, bye now to you. He gives spiritual free feeding as well as also physical feeding. He looks after them. He was concerned for their physical needs too. And we understand this from the book of James, right? He says, well, you've got faith. Wonderful. Don't just say, uh, God bless you. Uh, see you. Huh? Bye-bye. Your faith has got to be moving forward into works. And if someone's hungry, feed the person. If someone needs something, give it to them. If someone is different from you, don't look at them uh, with pride or with disdain, you know, and say, oh, you're not one of us down here. Go for the fringe guys. But if you want to be a fringe guy, you need a key kingdom ingredient, and that is compassion. Well, Jesus knew that, and he said, I want to feed them. I want to give them food, right? They've been with me for a while now. I don't want to send them away. And they might faint along the way. I mean, that's how much our master, our king, cares for each and every person. And so he calls the disciples to himself and he, he shares his heart with them. And I think it's, this is very cute because Jesus preempts the disciples even in that just one statement. I don't want to send them away. Now, if you remember the scriptures, you can go back and check this out. The disciples were all too ready to send the people away in the 5,000, right? The 5,000 crowd. Send them away, send them away. You know, let, let them go and settle things by themselves. 
Even for the woman in uh, of Canaan in Tyre and Sidon region, they were like so upset. Like, can you just send her away? You know, she's bugging us. Can you just do what needs to be done so that we can send them away? And Jesus immediately knew like, what the disciples might have been thinking. And he says, look, I, I don't want to send them away because they might faint. So they cannot say send them away anymore. And if you remember the previous teaching also, in fact, Jesus was the one who looked at them and said, now you give them something to eat. So they were like, I can just imagine in their hearts right now, looking at each other, it's like, oh no, <laughs> he's giving us that look again. He's going to ask us to feed them again. So before Jesus could even say anything to them to feed them or to feed the multitudes, the disciples asked first, now, where would we get enough bread in this wilderness, right? It's like, please, huh, don't look at us, you know. We're, 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 we're not going to do this. Why did they say that? Why did they say that? Let's think about this for a while. I think a question or some questions we can ask is this. Was it about forgetfulness? Or was it about faith? Or could it be about the fringe? Let's think about this. Do you think it was forgetfulness? I mean, they just fed 5,000 people. They were part of the whole process. They participated in this. Could they have forgotten so quickly? Well, possible, but maybe not. But how about the second question? Was it then about faith? I mean, they may not have had faith to feed 5,000, but hey, 4,000, less lay. So, you know, you need less faith. And if you do the math also, five loaves, two fish, fed 5,000 people. Now you have seven loaves and a few fish, which means more than two. You've got more resources, fewer people, easier, right? I mean, if you look at it mathematically. And of course, in your minds, they're, 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 I'm sure they will be able to say, Oh, Jesus, you know, I'm sure he can do it. La. No problem. You know, my God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all I can ask or imagine. So do you think it was about faith? Well, maybe, right? I mean, all of us struggle with some level of faith. So was it forgetfulness? Or was it really faith? Or could it be the third one? Maybe it was fringe phobia. Were they struggling with having to love the fringe and to care for them? Remember in that one incident with that woman, they struggle. It was a woman. Woman is fringe. Gentile is fringe. I mean, Jesus, you told us not to go into the way of the Gentiles, but go to the house of Israel first. What are we doing here? I don't want to do anything or have anything to do with these people. But now 4,000, excuse me, excuse me, one, okay, I make the exception, but 4,000, could it be fringe phobia? Send them away. I don't really care about them. I don't love them that much. Lah. Jesus, you do it. You remember this guy called Jonah? right? God asks Jonah, go preach to Nineveh. They need to repent. Jonah didn't want to go because he knew the heart of God, but his heart was not aligned to these fringe enemies. He didn't want to go there. And that's why God had to take him there and bring him there in his own way. And so was it forgiveness? Was it faith? Or was it fringe phobia? Well, let's not be too quick to judge the disciples. You know, Israel saw the miracles. Red Sea parted. God provided miraculously all the time, protected them, fought for them. And what did they do? They forgot. Every time a big problem came, they had no faith. They didn't want to believe. They didn't want to obey. Oh, going to the land, giants, real giants. And they had good cause to be concerned, but they forgot how big their God was. Israel forgot. Israel lacked faith. Israel was told, love the foreigner, love the stranger. Remember, you were French. They forgot. They struggled. They didn't want to do that. So before we point a finger at the disciples, very possible to struggle with all these things. And are we the same? Are we the same? If we will be honest, I believe we struggle just like the disciples too. Because we want to only look after ourselves. We want the multiplication for myself. Thank you, God, you know, for giving me this, for giving me that. But we forget 
that we are also to be fringe guys like Jesus. And so Jesus then commands the multitudes and asks them to sit down on the ground. Now what does he do? He takes the seven loaves, the fish, gives thanks, breaks it again, and he gives over to the disciples. Now we know this, same, same mode of operation in the previous feeding. But this time, God opens my eyes to see one more point here. You know, many times we are wondering, God, you know, I know you can do it. And yet sometimes God is also waiting for us to do something. And here we see that Jesus did the miracle, but the disciples were expected then to do the organization and the management of distributing what Jesus performed as a miracle. Jesus provided the resources for the fringe. But listen to this, the disciples had to mingle with the fringe. How nice, right? If you can just say, Lord, you do it, lah. you know, just, just drop the, like, like you did the manna, drop on the floor. Huh? Why don't you just let the bread huh, appear in their hands, in their mouths? Why I don't have to go to them? I don't have to touch them. I don't have to mingle with them. You know, these fringe people, <laughs> not my cup of tea. Lah. But Jesus just performed the miracles and gave it to the disciples and said, now you go there. You see, God will do His part, but He expects us to do our part. And sometimes He will do just that enough so that we can complement Him, partner Him, so that we can also learn to get out to perhaps certain groups, certain areas that we are not comfortable with. And it's 100% God, but it's also 100% man. I want to bring you to a final teaching point, an observation that I made about uh, this feeding of the 4,000. And I call this food tasting for the fringe. Well, you know the disciples uh, distributed the food, they all ate, they were filled, and there were seven baskets full of the fragments uh, that were left. We are told that in the feeding of the 5,000, and as I shared earlier, in John chapter 6, Jesus explains that he is the manna, the true manna, the bread of life. Later he goes on, he says, you have to eat my body and you have to drink my blood. Now, at that point in time, the Jews couldn't understand this. In fact, some of the disciples, they were so offended, they left, they stopped following Jesus. They couldn't understand that Jesus was speaking about the Passover meal that he would have with them and that in time it would become a meal, a blessing of the new covenant. They didn't understand it. The disciples didn't understand. When would they understand? It was only after three days, on the third day, when Jesus rose and after that broke bread with them, that they, oh, so this is what you mean. This is my body. This is my blood. You are the bread of life. And when we take it, we partake of all you are and what the kingdom is all about. It only happened after the three days and on the third day, after the point of resurrection, that their eyes were then opened. In the feeding of the 4,000, we are told that they continued with Jesus three days. Now, why did Jesus wait three days before feeding them? I don't know, right? Maybe they were so mesmerized with the miracles. They were so caught up with the teaching that they didn't even worry about whether they were hungry or not. And we hear of many meetings like that, right? In, 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 in either our country or other countries in India or in China where they would just sit there, they would just preach for hours. Maybe it was like that. Or maybe they knew that I have to wait, so I'm willing to wait for something here. They knew what the women knew and they said, okay, no problem, let's wait for everything to be done first and then we get the crumbs. Maybe he'll just give us the crumbs. And they waited for three days. It was only after three days. I want to hear this. After three days. Does it ring a bell down here? Does that phrase ring something for us? After three days that they were fed because we know that as a spiritual understanding, after three days when Jesus rose, the door of the kingdom was open to the Gentiles through faith in the Messiah. Wow. <laughs> when I saw that little connection, I thought perhaps this is what Matthew very subtly was just hiding inside there for us. They were opened to the kingdom. The kingdom was open to the people of the fringe and they were invited, now part of the messianic banquet, part of the messianic abundance. And that's why we see the leftovers, seven baskets full, always leftover, always more than enough. 
Now, if 12 baskets for the 5,000 represented a new Israel, because 12 is always about the government of the kingdom and the new Israel is going to bring this forward, then seven would then symbolize the perfection of this government, that it was going to be complete, it will be whole, it will be universal, it will include both Jew as well as the Gentiles, the people on the fringe. And this miracle, if they were open to the Messianic bank, then we know this term well, right? This miracle was only a foretaste, a food tasting, a sampling for what is to come. What an what amazing kingdom this is. What a fringe God we have and what a fringe guy Jesus is. Because with this one, one revelation, we know that the fringe would no longer be fringe. Because after three days, the kingdom's doors were open to them. They were invited. All they have to do is to believe in this fringe guy and they will be fringed no more. Jesus told the disciples, go into the world. Go to the fringes. Go to the ends, the outermost part of the world. Let this gospel be preached. There will be no more fringe as we understand it anymore. Where they were once secondary, they were now primary assignment. From fringe, they became a time called the fullness of the Gentiles. Today, it's no longer Jew or Gentile, but one new man in Christ. Oh, this is glorious. Praise the Lord for this. But sadly, today, Israel, along the years and across the years, became fringe. Right, Because the Gentiles kept growing. The church became largely, majority, a Gentile church. You and I, we are Gentiles. And the people of Israel, Jews then became French, and which gave rise or birth to a replacement theology. They're still anti-Semitic type feelings, even within the church. But we forget that where we were once French, now we are to reach out to the fringe because Gentiles today are to provoke the Jews to jealousy so that they are going to say, I don't want to be fringe now. I, I was the main deal. Now I'm the fringe. No way, man. I'm still part of the main deal. I'm going to come back in once more. See, friends, what's the kingdom perspective? The message seems to be the same. What God does for Israel, God will do for the Gentiles. What is available for Israel, God will make it available to the rest, the fringe of the world. And this must be our perspective too. It is not Christians versus the rest of the world, right? Sometimes we think about it this way, oh, the good versus the bad, you know, we are the good ones, they are the bad ones. I mean, I understand the wheat and the tares and so on, but that's not the right kingdom perspective. It's not Christians against the rest of the world. It should be Christians for the rest of the world, right? We are here for the benefit of the world. We are the ones that should be going out because they may be against us, but we are not to be against them. We are not wrestling against flesh and blood. We are wrestling against principalities and powers, and that's a totally different subject and a different scope there. But do we only care for our own Christians? Well, we should start there, but we mustn't stop there, right? Do we love the Gentiles of today, i.e. the non-believers, the pre-believers? Right? Jesus didn't ask the Gentiles, you convert first, huh? then I feed you. <laughs> today we tend to say, oh, you come, I'll be my church member first before I do anything for you. No. Jesus was the fringe guy. You know, He would just do all that needs to be done to get out there to reach the fringe. And that's why he's odd. He's weird. It's, it's, it's a very oddball. We, we can't understand this because we want to protect our own. We should be like him. We should just declare the kingdom, demonstrate the kingdom, regardless of whether people will want to believe or not. That's not our part to determine. That is for God to work in their hearts. What are our present-day challenges, friends? If you read the news and look at the internet these days, countries are now looking out for themselves first. They are wanting to protect their own people, even to this concept of protectionism or xenophobia. And they, everything, everyone else is the fringe, right? We are the main ones first. Now, don't think we are not part of this, Singaporeans and 
because I'm, I'm speaking largely to Singaporeans here. We too have this thing called Singapore first, right? Singaporean first. Why are uh, too many foreigners, you know, they're taking away our jobs and so on. Now, I understand the concerns, but my question for you and for I is that what should our response be, right? How should Christians respond correctly? Are we correct in, in, in joining in this uh, chorus to say, oh, you must protect Singapore first, and I don't care about anyone else? In many other countries, you know, it has manifested into fringe protests, right? Because they are trying to protest and protect on behalf of the fringe, the people who are marginalized, right? These are the minority groups, the foreign talents, the domestic helpers or the immigrants. Uh, other fringes will be like ex-offenders. And now, which is very controversial, the gender wars. Huh? They're trying to protect the fringe groups, right? Or races now. Uh, is it a white American or do we call it a China virus? It's politically wrong. And it's coming out into very, very crazy manifestations of this heart of wanting to protect or to protest against or on behalf of the fringe. Um, some other examples... Um, senior citizens have become fringe, right? Because today, we, it's so sad if we, if we look at the people who are older and we say, oh, they are no longer useful, so we don't care about these anymore. It's called ageism. We only prefer the younger people. Or women who have always been sidelined and never treated correctly or fairly or equally. Now, you swing to another extreme, it becomes feminism, which is also not correct. Other fringe groups, uh, mental health, uh, suicide, uh, abortion, all of these are fringe protests that have come forth. Now, it's become very political and it's coming out in very, very wrong ways. Now, of course, the most recent examples which is still happening in the West is this Black Lives Matter thing. And out of this whole movement, this woke culture, right? This is an African-American term of an increased awareness of social justice and race justice. This woke culture has become very negative. It's manifesting again, like I said, in extremely, extremely wrong ways. It's gone into this thing called a cancel culture where they... If, if you're against the fringe, we're going to knock you down, we're going to tear you down, we're going to protest, we're going to burn down your buildings, we're going to tear down your statues. Uh, and it's offensive to these guys, so they respond in a very offensive way. And the way they do it now, social media, group shaming, calling people names. And if you look at the internet and you're part of the social media thing, please be careful, right? Don't buy into some of these. See, fringe issues cannot be solved if these movements are primarily rooted in humanism or the way they see morality or the way they want to express personal freedom. It sounds very noble, but it is very wrong in the way that they try to uh, push for their rights. It sounds very just in what they are trying to say, but they are doing it through unjust means. Friends, it just doesn't work without God and His kingdom. You want to be a fringe guy, you've got to believe in a fringe God and do it according to His ways. It must be the kingdom and it must be according to kingdom ways. Now, what am I saying here? You see, the kingdom of God is radically fringe. Think about this. When Israel moved into the land of Canaan, they were radical totally radical. God was radical because in the ancient world, no one had such laws of love and of righteousness. No one could care less about the weak and the poor and the needy. I mean, if you die, you just die. So the early church was also radical because kingdoms of those days, governments, they didn't care any bit about the fringe. Now, thank God for Judeo-Christian values much of the world have learned a lot from this influence. They don't want to admit it, but these are Judeo-Christian influences, kingdom influences. And because they have been influenced in a positive way, today good government programs are there and great initiatives do get rolled out. They do provide for some of these fringe uh, initiatives and cater to these issues. But what's the problem now, friends? This has lulled Christians into a complacency. 
Because now we expect the government to do everything where once it was the church that was shining the light. Today, you want to shine your light and you're going to shine even brighter because what you do, the governments are also doing. And even in our time of election, we're always saying, uh, please elect government who will be able to do these things for you. Friends, thank God for good government. But government, good or not good, do you know the church exists to be the fringe guys? We are the ones that should be bringing kingdom culture and influence. And friends, that is why I say it's time to be awakened, the time to be aligned and time to be assigned again so that we can be fringe guys. Fringe issues require fringe guys. See, people who are willing to be fringe, to be odd, to be weird, to not do the normal, normal stuff so that we can help the fringe. Time doesn't allow me to honor enough fringe guys that are in our community and people that I've gotten to know in this time of running the ministry of Archippus Awakening. There are just so many of them, people who are looking after the migrant workers, um, caring for them. Even in the time of the crisis now, they are reaching out to them, loving them, providing food, giving health care. Sometimes it pains me when I see Christians complaining. Why are we looking after them? You know, we should look after Singaporeans first and so on. Why are we talking like this? When they were put into more comfortable places where they can rest for a quarantine period, we have, we have Christians crying out and raising arms to say, do you know this is our tax money that they, are, that, they, that they are using? Why do we split in that way? If anyone should be saying, yes, you know, we should help them a little bit more, it should be the kingdom of God. We know friends who move into um, Geylang, in the red light district, ministering to the sex workers, um, the pimps who are there, People who do it not because they love doing things like that, but they have no choice. And we need fringe guys to get to these fringe guys that we can then share Jesus and tell them the kingdom of God is also for them. Issues of um, pregnancies at risk, uh, abortion issues, every life that matters even in the womb. I know a pastor in India where he reaches out to the untouchables, the lowest of the lowest. Do you know when COVID-19 came through and the quarantine lockdown came in that huge massive country, all the supplies were cut to all these guys in the villages. This fringe guy, my pastor friend, went out there and help them, serve them, and it was so wonderful to be able to partner him in this way. Like I said, there are just so many more examples. Crazy fringe guys in the kingdom of God, following the example of Jesus. Even in the ministry of Archippus Awakening, we find ourselves ministering, reaching out, being a ear to other fringe guys, because Many times when we talk about the things of the kingdom and we want to move in the way of the kingdom, we end up being seen as odd or weird, um, that we are not trying to follow uh, the, the, the mainstream thing, that we are rebellious and many of us become sidelined. Our Keepers Awakening has been serving you know, as a little safety net because at the end of the day, these guys love Jesus and they just want to do what Jesus has told us all to do. You see, we are to be fringe guys just like Jesus is a fringe guy. I hope you've been enjoying this teaching about the feeding of the 4,000. And I hope that you can see that it's more than just another feeding miracle. If you take this just by itself, it's so easy to preach, you know, to say, oh, you know, whatever little you have, I can, you give it to Jesus, He's going to make it a lot. Um, if you have $5 in your bank account, you know, Jesus is going to make it $5 million in your bank account and you just trust Him, you know, and so that you bring to Him and He'll give you more and more and more. See, if our perspective is only about ourselves, then that's the way we will approach the Scriptures and think it's all about us. Well, it's not wrong that Jesus can multiply, that He can make beautiful miracles, but it is so much more. When you see things in context with a much broader kingdom perspective, it's not just another feeding miracle just to satisfy our physical needs. It is about the king's heart for the people on 
the fridge. And so as I close, I want to challenge you. Like Jesus, we are to be fringe guys too. The ways of the kingdom always upside down, a little odd every now and then. But it's okay to be odd for Jesus if you are odd in a good way, in a kingdom way. Fringe guys are concerned for fringe guys. Those aren't the fringe. And remember, the fringe is out there. So don't become inward. It's so easy to huddle and be comfortable in our churches. But the fringe is out there. And it is only in Christ that fringe issues can be totally eliminated. That there can be shalom, peace, restoration across all people groups, all races, all classes. Everything is broken down because everyone will be in Christ. It is only in Him that we can have healing and restoration of a broken society. And that's the promise of the kingdom of God. Shalom, shalom. Our King has set the example. He fed not only the Jews, He fed also the Gentiles. Would we be oddballs like Him? You know, I say this often in the ministry of Archippus Awakening. I say, if I'm odd and you are odd for Jesus, and all of us are a little bit odd, and when we come together, all the oddballs become normal. Would we all be willing to become fringe guys, odd guys, weird guys for the people of the kingdom, for the things of the kingdom, for the king of the kingdom? Maybe then we'll all become normal. And maybe that would be a new normal that we can hope for. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for showing us what it means to be a fringe guy. Showing us even not just to be weird for weird's sake, but that in that fringeness of the kingdom, that you are reaching to the people who are often slipping through the cracks, sidelined, ignored, stepped over. Lord, forgive us if we have been part of that kind of a thinking, where we have been inward looking, where we only look out for ourselves, to feed ourselves. Lord, will you stretch our minds, open our eyes to see the people around us. And it need not be a big movement, perhaps in our family, in our churches, there might be someone who is ignored, who is sidelined, who is not seen to be worth any attention or any love. Lord, will you use us as fringe guys to reach these fringe guys on the fringe that you will receive all glory and all honour. So thank you, Lord, for another teaching. Thank you, Lord, for enabling us to be what we can be and should be in your mighty name. And we ask all this in your mighty, 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 mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.